when I first heard it, I remember thinking how different the songs were from each other. I remember thinking like, wow, look at this. This is really a good example if you had to have a sample of, of you know, ska punk or ska core. And, and then where it's mixed in together, like that was really... I started thinking to myself, like, maybe that's why it, it is the way it is, to show, like, there's some of the roots, here's some of what they can do, here's some of their brand, here's some of, uh, like, tribute, you know, type of stuff, so. Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast, we talk about our favorite records, Talking Records Podcast, we're so glad you tuned in, thank you all for listening, you showed up to the right place, Get in his friends, We'll tell you how we found the band Then give you a track by track Breakdown of all the songs So grab your favorite beverage And pull up a seat Today we'll look at another record In its entirety Hello, what's up everyone? My name is Jed and you're listening to the Talking Records Podcast, a show in which we focus on a particular album and try to gather up everything we can about the album and put it in one place. I'm joined by friends new and old to talk about what these albums mean to us and we dig into the tracks. Today I'm joined by Christian and Mike from the Long Island ska punk band Scapository. What's up guys? Christian, welcome back. Thank you. Great to be back. Thank you for having us. How many ska bands have you had on before? Not many. First off, Scapository, you guys just went for it with the ska puns, huh? That was kind of the idea, was that we, uh, <laughs> we were thinking of uh, names together. Actually, you know when bands tell you that they thought of a band name, they usually have a funny backstory on it. We literally sat down to think of a band name that was better than the original proposed name of uh, the Inflatable Tube Men. <laughs> When we discussed it, it we were thinking of uh, possible ways to use Scott in it, but you know, I think it was Jess who had said "expository." Uh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> Jess is well, Jess is our, our guitar player. In addition to going for it with the name, we went for it with not just you know keyboards, but he actually plays a guitar. He refuses to play keyboards in our band because he wants that to be his main instrument. So. So it, it works out pretty well, though. He, he, he has some good st stage presence with that. It sounds aggressive, but it's um, it's more just about in your face or, I guess, in this situation up here. You know what? It, it, it seems like it's kind of a, no pun intended, crapshoot. People either, yeah. like, love the name or you tell it to them and they just turn around and walk <laughs> away or laugh and kind of you know, shiver. But people will remember it. it. I think that's the important thing. But that's right. People remember it. So you never know what you're going to get, but yeah. whatever. We, you know, they, they don't like us for our name. <laughs> well, I certainly love that kind of humor, but a listen to your great debut EP, Up Yours, reveals more serious subject matter like race and death. How do you guys strike a balance between the lighthearted and the more serious stuff? I mean, I think if, if you see us live, you definitely see the, the lighthearted kind of fun vibe um and definitely you know the content the lyrical content which is, is is actually all written by uh our singer guitarist tony it's definitely something that you gotta kind of balance out because the name is so in your face we all have like a a conscience about us as well and a social conscience definitely uh, you can you can see it in in the song the blood yeah. i bleed 
which is about, you know, racism in the police force and just like systemic problems. And, uh, you know, Tony writes a lot of lyrics that are just like, you know, close to his heart. It all kind of reflects on us too. It's funny that Christian said it that way, but uh, we, I agree a hundred percent when you meet us or see us or hear us, you know, we're regular guys, uh, but it's important that uh, a guy like Tony, our singer and his lyrics and his delivery, that we're all on the same page with this concept that if, you know, you don't stand for something, then right. why stand at all? Like that kind of idea. So, I mean, if we're going to be up there entertaining, which I, I think we all agree as a band is really the, what we want to do and what we love. And, and one of our major passions to from the creativity is entertaining. But at the same time, yeah, there are things that have to be said and, and that we, we, we hope that people uh, either agree with or at least hear our opinion on. That's one of the things I love about uh, having a name like Scapository. It, it, it suggests that we, we aren't going to, to go that route. But unfortunately, as Christian said, we do have consciences and, uh, you know, uh, something to say. Now, did you guys form during the pandemic or had you been playing before that? Or I actually, I was the last member to join. I just answered a, uh, a Facebook post that was look- actually they were looking for horns and i don't play a horn but <laughs> I, I responded yeah. to our drummer cody and uh, Again, two weeks after me because i responded said i don't play a horn. <laughs> oh, right. play bass. <laughs> so uh yeah we we actually didn't know each other oh, we, all, right. we all met that way i think our, yeah. our our singer and drummer knew each other so we, yeah we formed in the pandemic which was weird you yeah. know but i think that actually it's funny but I was thinking, and, and other people actually, when I when they asked, did you form during the pandemic? They think the same thing. Like, <laughs> you guys are all crazy. Like, why yeah. would you do that? Like, what were you thinking? I mean, you know, we've been cautious, and we and you know, we follow all guidelines, and most of not all of us are vaccinated. It's funny, but like, yeah, after like a year not playing, like, or more for some of us, like, what the heck? You know, we we were kind of going nuts. So this was like the answer. And yes, we are all a certain brand of crazy <laughs> for doing it. I guess. I mean, I think it also was a good form of like therapy yeah. in a way sure. definitely to uh just get out of your house i mean you know we we met in a garage basically for i think we practiced for what three months before we yeah. played our first show this is another thing about this band being so young is that like we were able to do things that i i mean never been able to do even with bands where like you're on your summer vacation from school we've been able we were able to practice two wow. sometimes three times a week <laughs> No limitations whatsoever because everybody was either working from home or, or, um, or you know, whatever, doing a different different kind of uh, uh, work thing now. So right. the we were able to, to literally progress, I think, two or three times faster than we would have had this been a normal environment where he and I are commuting to Manhattan and the other guys are doing their normal weekday shifts. Like we, we'd see each other maybe once every week or once every two weeks, which, which forces a band to progress up a much slower pace or yeah. to at least even, you know, get up right. on their feet. Plus it helped that, to be honest with you, like we kind of took advantage of the fact that a lot of bands mm-hmm. didn't want to play shows. And so there were so many <laughs> promoters and venues, you know, and no, no fault to them. Like that's their choice. Um, we, again, we took precautions in order to not uh, make anybody uh, sick or, we also basically went out there and just said yes to every show that was offered to us or, or went out and, and we, we, we've actually put together a lot of shows here on Long Island because all God, you know, God's honest truth, there's not much of a, a ska scene anymore here on Long Island. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, we're, we're trying to, like, create something. Um, there's definitely a, a, a hardcore scene and a, and, and a little bit of a punk scene, but 
Ska is definitely lacking. I mean, there's still like, you know, bands like the Ska Flaws or uh, the Pandemics, although I think they would probably consider themselves New York City. They're, they're out here on Long Island. There's, and there's a few others that are, you know, minor players uh, as, as we are, you know, we're, we don't think of ourselves as anybody big, but what we are trying to do is, is bring about that feeling of the, you know, what if you want to call it mid nineties, late nineties, <laughs> but at least for me, that's when the ska scene was like really big and, and that area, people knew yeah. about it. Well, I hope you guys can get something going. Uh, you know me, I love ska music. So <laughs> yeah. awesome. Where can people find your music and are you guys going to do a physical release? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, uh, they can find it at, at mm-hmm. uh, we have it on Bandcamp. Um, our Bandcamp is uh, scapository.bandcamp.com. And then it's on all the streaming sites, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, etc. I don't know how many there are. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't even use more than one. Yeah, it's, so. it's probably on like 12 different sites, yeah. but you're, you're really only using or seeing on like three or four. Right. But um, physical CDs, possibly possibly something or vinyl. Yeah, there is a, a huge backlog, as, as I'm sure you know. In the, in the vinyl industry so we'll see if you know it's it's also a bit of change so we kind of have to make that before we you know really do any physical so right now it's it's digital and then hopefully with the hopes of putting some out putting something out physically well let's talk about another band that does a good job of blending the the serious stuff with the with the silly stuff today, Christian, Mike, and I will be talking about the Mighty Mighty Boston's 1993 EP, Ska The Devil and More. Two months before the release of their full-length album, Don't Know How to Party, the Mighty Mighty Boston's released Ska Core, The Devil and More on March 8, 1993. The 7, or 8-song EP was released on Mercury Records, introducing the band to the world of major labels. Now, I'm dying to know how these guys convinced Mercury to let them release an EP loaded with hardcore covers as their first release. <laughs> I actually just said that to Mike the other day, like... It just seems odd. They must have had it. All I can think of is they must have had yeah. it in their pocket. And then they were just like, hey, here's this this thing we did. Do you want to put it out? It, and like you said, it was released only two months yeah. prior to single, their debut yeah. full-length Mercury. So, And I know they had the Where Did You Go EP two years prior to that. And that was, what, three three or four yeah. covers on that, I think. So it's not that it wasn't their first covers album either. Or, you know, first covers right. uh, majority <laughs> EP. Yeah, I was thinking that it might have been a uh, it might have been one of those things that Christian said that it was already a lot of it was already recorded, which was the case. But the other part was that um, you know part of their contract was probably that you can you know got to get some EPs out or or you know you can put an EP out if you have one that ready now you know so something like that might have made sense. I think like it's cool that I I mean I can't speak to the fifth track Simmer Down, but I, I would think that the three hardcore tracks that they covered, those guys were around the time, like go in the scene around the time. They probably saw these three bands more than, you know, more than uh, once or twice. So they actually have like the, the experience. I just think it's awesome that they got a major, they got on a major and then paid homage to all these great bands that they loved. I mean, that's, it's pretty cool. It's a nice way to be like, we've made it to a major, but like here are, the bands that influenced us. Here's who got us here, you know. And it's and it's funny that you say because they did the opposite on the other covers 
album because I think they covered Metallica, yeah. Van Halen, <laughs> and Aerosmith. So was, and that was on an indie label. Oh, that was yeah, on Tang right. Records. Uh, so it's like, yeah, that's a good point you brought that's up. Funny. It's like complete opposite. I think it's part of their approach to being, um, you know, on paper, at least looking like a, a second mm-hmm. wave ska band. In that there's so many covers. Like, I mean, even there are some of their originals that, that you can consider originals who follow some traditional progression. So uh, even though like the songs themselves are hardcore, yeah. it's such a ska mood to do that. You know, it's, the specials may have like six original songs, you know, when you think about it. But like uh, the Boston's, when you look at them, you're like, oh man, they look like the madness of the specials on the covers of some of their albums. And their approach mm-hmm. to music is similar. Like they have no problem covering songs, no problem guests with guests yeah. on, on songs. You know, it's very cool. The EP was recorded at the Warren Rhode Island recording studio, Normandy Sound, and engineered by Phil Green. So Green is most notable for mixing the classic New Kids on the Block stuff in the mid-80s, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> I did not know that. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, I, hey, he yeah. keeps it real with the Boston scene, I guess. Yeah, what a perfect guy to do it. Right. That's I would say, yeah, yeah, I want him. Are you right. serious? <laughs> he was probably in high demand. At that, yeah, what? It was like early 90s. Do so. for us what you did for the New Kids. <laughs> He's probably like, are you sure, guys? <laughs> Except in flat. <laughs> With Someday, I suppose, leading off the EP, the great song is presented alongside all these great hardcore and reggae covers, which we'll talk about in a moment. And uh, that's it. You know, that's all I've really got on the making of this album. I really think that the band just went in, banged these well-rehearsed covers out, threw some live stuff on, and sent it out with Someday, I suppose. And then two months later, Don't Know How to Party came out, and, you know, yeah, I mean, I think this EP serves as like a nice teaser, like you said, like a nice sampler. Don't Know How to Party is a loud record, too. And so I feel like this is a nice <laughs> intro to that. Lots of hardcore ska or ska core yeah. or whatever. All right, guys. So uh, so one at a time. Uh, I'll start with you, Mike. How did you get into this record? I actually was probably about 11 when it came out. I actually wasn't into it at that point. But when I heard Don't Know How to Party... And uh, I had to start digging through everything they, they had ever done as like a teenager in the 90s. And it was the perfect combination of, you know, the ska we were hearing coming out of the city with the toasters and the ska flaws in Long Island and Spider-Nick and the Mad Dogs and, and the punk rock that we were getting such uh, access to, like, you know, local bands like H2O or um, Bouncing Souls, like, the hardcore and punk rock, this was such a good combination. So um, to me, I was like, I got to go check. Mm-hmm. I got to check out what else they've done. I yeah. fell in love with it. You know, it is just such a simple, it's just such a simple concept to, that you'd have, um, hey, we, we know we have this single we want to put out, but, you know, we've also got these covers that we're going to put out too. And then here's some live stuff to, to make it not a rip off <laughs> when you're going to have to buy it. You know? It's such a good, what a great uh, concept. And for a listener, it's easier to obviously conceptualize full-length albums, but for a band and for you know a population of humans that are only getting shorter attention spans, like you know the EP approach is and and has been successful. You know, so this is a was was kind of probably a good idea for them. And Christian, how did you get into Scott Core, The Devil, and more? I, it, it, it's weird. I, I had, I used to uh, go up to Nantucket in the summers. Um, cause I was a golf caddy 
and uh, it was basically like Caddyshack, where you would live on the golf course, and so you'd become friends with all the other caddies, and and uh, I remember there was this one that, you know, it was like the stereotypical one punk rock guy in, in the whole place out of like 60 caddies, and uh, I remember he, he, gave, he gave me a copy of it to listen to, you know, I had been into like the Misfits and, you know, like I was at, at that time I was more into heavy metal and, and stuff like that. That was the first ska adjacent, you know, release I think I had ever heard, you know, like Mike, it, it blew me away. And, you know, it was the first time, obviously I heard a lot of those bands. I mean, I think I had heard of Bob Marley before. I, I might not have heard of Minor Threat even, uh, you probably wouldn't have even listened to Bob Marley. Some people I knew didn't even know yeah, that yeah. that was a cover. <laughs> right. You know, right. Free internet. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, the guy, you know, he, the, this guy actually like introduced me into the whole hardcore punk scene. Uh, you know, he used to give me like Southern California compilations, you know, with like adolescence and all this other stuff. And then, so it naturally was, you know, he's giving me this record with an angry Samoans cover and, you know, SSD control. And, uh, yeah. And, and so from there, you know, I just fell in love with the Boston's and they, I would say through my high school years, they were, they were my favorite band by far. I think I saw them over 20 times. I just remember being in love with the Boston's. Uh, my friend's band covered two songs by the Boston's and they would oh, nice. have me come up and sing them. So I, and what I used, to, I used to sing, where'd you, you go, and kind of words. Ah. I, I couldn't no. <laughs> replicate it, but... Yeah. Where did you go? No, that's a, <laughs> yeah. um, Where did you go? Yeah, but for... I don't know how he does that, because, like, any type of, like, vocal, like... I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you now, I've met him. I've met him, and, and yeah. he just sounds... A lot of smokes. Like, uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not fake. Yeah. I mean, the guy smokes a lot of cigarettes, <laughs> It's funny back in the day, I'll, yeah, before the internet, I remember hearing rumors that like Dicky had been like in a bar fight and got his like his like throat slit same, or something. I heard the same story. That was like yeah, that was like the urban legend around Dicky Barrett. That there was a, some guy oh, broke yeah. a bottle and like yeah. got him. Well, let's it. pretend that's true. I, that sounds like a pretty good story. <laughs> right. That's the of, truth uh, is probably legit. much more boring. He right. just chain smoked cigarettes. Somebody hit me in the he... mouth with a bottle. I'd probably yeah. come out sounding like Kermit or something. Right. 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 And, and all the alcohol they were imbibing at the time. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that two of the songs are by Straight Edge Bands, the covers. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they were definitely one of the more hard, hard partying bands. I first heard the Boston's at a high school party in 1996 when the host put on Question the Answers. And from the opening of Kinder Words, I was totally hooked. I mean, the Boston's, man, they have such a unique sound. I hadn't heard anything that combined distorted guitars with horns and, of course, Dickie's trademark growl, which we were talking about. Uh, I borrowed that album from her, and it wasn't long before I raced out to the record store to see if they had anything Boston's, and luckily they did. I actually picked up Skycore, The Devil, and More and Don't Know How to Party on the same day. And I listened to Skycore first because it was shorter. <laughs> Obviously, being an EP as opposed to Don't Know How to Party, which was a full length, and just that, you know, that opening horn line to Someday I Suppose came in and I just got really excited. This was more of like a hardcore punk album. And since I was more heavily into punk, I just really got into it. I loved it. I mean, I knew who Minor Threat was due to countless other bands covering their material. You know, Suicide Machines, Jiker, No Effects, 
Uh, and I knew Brian Baker from my beloved Bad Religion had once been in Minor Threat. I can't believe you just pulled out Jiker. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a name from the past. I had no idea who the Angry Simones were or SSD. So this album was an important gateway into a lot of the great older punk that was out there. I think that might have been the point, though. You know, the Bostons love these bands and like throwing these songs into their live sets. And I just kind of feel like maybe, you know, they turned a few other people onto these great bands through getting this EP out. I mean, they, like they, you know, they did their due diligence. And I think it's pretty cool. I just loved it. I think, you know, it took me a week before I even picked up Don't Know How to Party. I was just listening to this EP over and over again. I, at the time, I don't know if that was my favorite Boston's record, but over the years, I've grown to think it's actually their best. It's so good. It's, it's, so it's like totally under the radar, like, like great, great yeah. record. For a while, Question and the Answers was my all-time favorite, but I think Don't Know How to Party actually to mm. overtake that. Yeah. All right. Well, are you guys ready to dig into these tracks? Yes, definitely. All right. The album starts off with Someday I Suppose. Now, unlike the Don't Know How to Party mix, which fades in, this one starts right in with the horns, which I think I actually like this version better just for that fact that it starts right in. That's definitely a noticeable difference and a very cool uh, difference. Sometimes I think that that's... uh maybe half the band's preference and not the other halves, but yeah. <laughs> um, or it's just an alternate version that they had and that they wish they just didn't win for the, for the full Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't decide. Do we fade it in or do we just start it? I don't know. Let's put one on this <laughs> album, one on that album. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think they sound completely the same to me. However, I think it's the same version. Yeah. I don't know because I was doing some research and they were both recorded at different studios with different producers unless yeah. they just like kind of threw it under the rug and we're just like, whatever, we'll just say this was recorded here. We'll re-release it. Well, I went back and forth listening to both versions. And I mean, I, like right. I felt like I was picking up on like very minute differences, but yeah. that might've been like the mix to me. They sound very similar. And I'm thinking if they were able to record this thing twice and have it sound so close, right. I mean, that's impressive. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. And, and if you think about it, like why, why spend the money? recording the same exact yeah. song. So maybe, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably the first, one of the first ska bass lines I ever learned. Uh, I started taking bass lessons uh, when I was in about sixth grade, you know, learning U2 uh, songs or Weezer songs or whatever I could, I could get my hands on that I could handle. But I remember getting, when I get, when I got uh, ska core and the devil more and when I got, um, question the answer don't mind the party i remember being like i gotta learn i gotta try to learn some of these bass lines and, yeah it's uh, a great had, bass line yeah i remember trying to do it myself and then my teacher helped me on some of the <laughs> some, of, some of the less obvious parts but uh i was yeah. like oh man this is so cool it's a song about procrastination and then reflection he wants to remember specific things like a time a place or even a certain girl but he can't there's an inclination that these things may have been important and it irritates him that he can't remember. These faded memories seem to have meant something to him at one point, but they escape him now. And it makes me wonder if it's the actual place or girl he longs for, or like the memory, you know what I mean? You know, sometimes you, you kind of build something up in your mind as being really great, 
not realizing that maybe there's a reason you've forgotten about it. <laughs> like it must have been great, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Black that out. Dickie's lyrics for you know a hardcore guy from Boston. They're very. Uh, a lot of them are introspective and just kind of like like definitely layered, and uh, a lot of levels to them uh, emotionally. There's a video of this song featuring the band playing live. It looks like they're in someone's apartment. <laughs> the footage is mixed with shots of the band kind of like running around town, which is, I always thought was kind of funny. And Dickie's got like the, this huge coat on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that video, but it always cracks me up. It definitely always occurred to me like, oh, this must be their first music video ever. But I think they had like two or three before that. Yeah, they, they definitely look like, oh, this is a, okay. Yeah, this is our first shot of fame here. Let's let's make it bigger than... I thought the exact same thing. I remember thinking to myself that before they made that video that someone was like, hey, you know, a lot of people are probably going to watch this. Mm. Like, I, I, I just thought like that it had to be the conversation that occurred as opposed to anything they filmed before. And that was their reaction to it. So yeah. it was like, oh, awesome. These guys are cool. Right. <laughs> it's funny though you mentioned the big coat though because that definitely sticks out in that, in that video. yeah <laughs> i always thought it was funny that the uh all the guys are wearing hats except for the horn players like they've all got their hats on you know i mean <laughs> we'll talk about style when we talk about the album art but you know dickie's got his sod hat on and <laughs> right right that, like, gotta... that was that song was also in the movie clueless wasn't it i i dug that movie when i was younger i i tried watching it a few years ago and just <laughs> didn't retain the uh the, Didn't hold the up, same huh? level now. Nah. Seeing the Boston's in it definitely uh, was worth the. Yeah, definitely. You know the the stream or I don't know what. Do I... The one time I met Paul Rudd in New York City, I was on my way to a Toasters concert at the Wetlands, uh, since dead venue now. But uh, and I had to ask directions from someone that was Paul Rudd. Really? <laughs> the reference I had was that movie, and I'm like, "You look so familiar. You, you like the older brother of Clueless." And he said, yeah. And he told me how to get to the wetlands. You were the guy. Nice. And he knew how to get there. Perfect. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, guys. Let's take a look at Think Again. You know what to do. Fucking love. Too much has been said. You think it. Fuck my head. A cover of the third song off of Minor Threat's 1983 album Out of Step on Discord Records. At 21 minutes, Out of Step is the only proper studio album the band ever released. Here, the Boston's play tribute to DC's greatest band by playing a true to the original version. Definitely true. Um, I mean, I, I you know I heard this cover before I ever heard the Minor Threat version, obviously. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, me too. You know, going back and forth uh, over the years. I actually kind of like it a little bit better, to be honest with you. <laughs> the cover. You don't want to piss off any purists, but I had heard the Minor Threat song before hearing this cover. Right. And I remember thinking, like, this one has so much more girth. I just remember yeah, thinking, it packs I, a, I just remember yeah, it packs thinking, a I mean, it could have just been production, but but yeah. I just, it's also his voice, and it's the fact yeah. that, like, mm. they're all singing. Like, that's another thing. Like, yeah. I think they, they're all doing at least backups. So it's like, or at least all the guitarists are. So it's like, it's a bigger sound. And I remember thinking like, yeah, I agree. This is better than the original to me, but you know, <laughs> I'm sorry to all the purists. <laughs> yeah. I remember back in the day, it was cool because they would play these songs live. It wasn't like something they just had to put on a record and, and they threw it away after that. Yeah, they liked the songs. They liked the songs. And they enjoy playing them. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and like, I remember them being, I always was anticipating hearing lights out towards the end of their set. I remember mm -hmm. at any show they would play, but I think again, they would 
kind of throw in there randomly. I remember definitely going to a few shows where they played that too. Yeah, a friend sent me a live recording of the song uh, from 91 when they played it in Worcester, uh, which oh, is yeah. about an hour from where I live. And I was, yeah, so they've been doing this one for, for a long time. The song starts in with the guitar line played by then guitarist Nate Albert. By the chorus, the horns come in to back up the chorus of, you know, think again, they shout it. And I just love how they work the horns in, you know, we've got horn players. We got to, we got to have something for them to do. So <laughs> back up the chorus. And then uh, they come back in for that, the interlude before the, the bridge. And I love the bridge to this song. I love that part. Yeah, it's good. I probably would have, uh, I remember thinking like, oh man, there's so many other songs they could have done. When I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty rad. Like it's uh it's heavy, it's fast, yeah. it's quick, and they're showing you a glimpse into into where they came from. I I think we all do. We whether or not we know it, we we appreciate that um, that connection that they're allowing us to have by attempting to either do a straight cover or put their own little twist on it. I mean, I think this has its own. It's got their own flavor on it. I think that that's so important because you you get that connection. You're going to like a band a lot more when they when are honest with you. And that's a version of honesty, I think. Mm-hmm. I think my only complaint about the Boston's version, and Mike, it'd be interesting to see if you agree with this as a bass player. I, I wish they would have cranked Joe's bass up a little bit. The original Minor Threat version has the bass way up, and you can really hear Steve's bass like pinging along. Uh, plus, the bass line in the final chorus is amazing in the Minor Threat version. The way it kind of like rattles around. And it kind of goes crazy. And you don't really get that on the Boston's version. I think Joe just plays it straight. He doesn't even do that that bass line at the end. I got the impression that this was there. That's the impression that you got? Yeah. I heard exactly <laughs> oh, what you were talking about. That he was not, like, it wasn't, it was a guitar-driven song. And I think mm-hmm. the approach to it is that this is a guitar-driven punk song. You know, I, I do so much. Like, let me, and he also, and, and he also, when they play it live, he sings the parts that are, he's the other singer in it. You know, the call and response is uh, Joe. So maybe part of it's that, but um, there's no doubt in my mind he can sing and play at the same time. But I think he was kind of, you know, letting the rest of the song lead for once, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he's so prominent in everything else they do. Yeah. All right, the next song is Lights Out. When I first heard this cover, I just absolutely loved it. I loved the call and response between Dickie and trombone player Dennis. I love the style. I love like the, the shout-along chorus. <laughs> I immediately sought out the Angry Samoans, and their album Back From Samoa. Lights Out is the third song on that album too, and it's just great early 80s hardcore punk. Love this song. And I love this Boston's version. Another, I would say another track that I like better than the original, but uh, <laughs> but no, I, I this, as as with all of us, I think this made me aware of the Angry Samoans, and I, you know, I definitely listened to... Uh, I mean, it was harder back then to find an Angry Samoans record just because, yeah. you know, the You're internet. Right, right like, digging through Tower Records right, and tracks yeah. on wax. But, uh, I mean, yeah, if, if we had Spotify or Apple now, I mean, obviously, I probably would know their entire discography. At that point in my life, I was so, like, just looking for new music and, and new sounds and, and just trying to get my, my ears around anything. And definitely, for some reason... Southern California, even though I lived in, you know, New Jersey, Southern California, punk rock, hardcore, whatever you want to call it, 
mm-hmm. uh, spoke to me. Yeah. Uh, at least from, you know, the early to mid eighties. Yeah. This made me go check out the angry Samoans. And I was like, uh, I got to see what this is about. And I remember wondering, like, are they actually Samoan? Um, they're obviously angry. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> and, I, and uh, yeah. So I was like, wow. I mean, that's what a, what a, what a fast, what a quick song. I mean, for a band that's capable of doing an eight minute song, at least live, like I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. I'm wondering in this day and age if they could get away with being called, like starting a new band called the Angry Samoans. Mm. I'm not sure yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> it's it's already not. Samoan, probably not. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If if they had some Samoan heritage, maybe go with a safe name like the Boston Arms or Scapository. <laughs> very, very safe. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, yes. it's a neutral name. Yeah, I like both versions. The Angry Simone's version uh, was actually my MySpace song for a long time back. When, remember when you could like attach wow. a song Uh-oh. to your MySpace and annoy nice. everybody uh, when they visited your page? But yeah, I like I like the original. I you know I love the Boston's version too. I mean, they just crank up the intensity with big guitars. Uh, the production again. I mean. You know, it causes the song to maybe hit a little harder, and yeah, I mean, I like I like both. It's it's hard for me to kind of pick uh, one over the other. Um, you know, obviously, the first version I heard was the Boston's version, so I guess you kind of always are. are... That's now the original version for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next song on the EP is "Police Beat" by SSD Control. Here the Boston's cover fellow Boston band SSD or Society System D Control, uh, but nobody called them that. <laughs> and they were another early 80s hardcore band. Uh, these guys were even good friends with Ian McKay uh, and Minor Threat. Uh, Police Beat was on the band's first album, The Kids Will Have Their Say. Record nerds will appreciate this. The album was only pressed on a thousand copies and never repressed, making it quite a collector's item. Of course, a thousand copies of my band's album were pressed, and I, I would say about 890 of them are still in my closet. <laughs> so, you know, what's rare, what's worth. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, yeah, it's just a loud, grinding, hardcore song that starts in with, with bass. So singer David Spring had a higher-pitched yell, so to hear Dickie take it on with his signature rasp definitely gives the song a bit more low end and a little bit more like, yeah, like heaviness and grit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I like the uh, when once I finally found the original and I finally heard it, I actually liked the original of it, and I thought it was a bold move for the Boston to even take on the song, considering the uh, the BPMs. I mean, the speed of the song is uh, is very different from what like they were doing uh you know they slowed down after uh you know um into the 2000s with some of their uh, songs but this was slow and i remember thinking like wow man good for them like uh, what a what a cool way to uh to tribute a band that you you know but some of them i'm sure they they either played with or you know been friends even um and then to also to introduce uh the world to boston hardcore uh, underground Boston hardcore, you know, we're yeah. not talking about uh, you know Minor Threat or Angry Samoans that had that had you know coast to coast uh, ears on them. The 
you know, SSD was, I, I remember digging around in, uh, in Newberry comics, trying to find anything on it when I got to the college in Worcester, just because I was like, uh, I gotta, I want to know what's going on with some of these bands. You know? Yeah. I think originally I was not thinking back to, you know, whenever I first heard this record, I was not a fan of this track. It's different. It, yeah. It grew on me definitely as I got more into like hardcore police beat definitely uh, caught on. And then, you know, obviously turned me on to SSD. You wouldn't have known about them. You wouldn't have known right. to check them out. And then actually I ran and grabbed this book. I got this a few months ago. It's, this is this, um, the singer from SSD, uh, or not singer, uh, guitarist Al Burreal. Uh, his wife wrote a book about her life. Basically, I think she was in the Philly scene and then moved up to Boston. But it's actually a really interesting read if you want to check it out. Oh, that's cool. What's the book called? It's called I'm Not Holding Your Coat uh, by oh, Nancy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Burke. yeah. I've heard that about that book. Yeah. And actually, Ian, Ian Mackay does uh, the like the, the foreword in it. It's a good read. Oh, yeah. Um, I meant to check that out. That's awesome. Yeah, it's more about her her journey but you know it's obviously sprinkled with a lot of like ssd stuff too very cool minor threat yeah well this is a song about police brutality and dickie roars police picked me out of the crowd because i dress different act very loud there's no questions asked they just want to kick my ass and uh you know it's it's so depressing it's so awful that these these problems were happening back when SSD wrote the song and, and before that too, like way before that too. Yeah. And they're still going on, you know, we're still faced with a lot of these problems. Nothing seems to change. The temperature uh, gets turned up and then down a little bit until people yeah. forget about it. And then it gets turned up again. Yeah. When you breed a fear based society, I mean, you know, people are paranoid, people are scared. People don't like difference. People get, a free, you know, it's like you're a punk kid standing in line at a club trying to get in and people are picking you out because you look different or because you, you know, you look menacing to them. And it's, it's like, you know, yeah, this song is definitely still relevant. Anyone who could, who should listen to or has never checked out the Boston's, you know, this is a, this is a good song to check out. I mean, it's a, definitely wasn't my favorite on it. Definitely a relevant topic to this day. And uh, yeah. hey, another parallel between the Scapository EP and uh, the Boston's EP. We both yeah. have police brutality songs, or one song right. that talks about it. It's unfortunate that that, that yeah. has to be the case, but it's another connection. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you to follow the Talking Records podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We post frequently and would love for you to join the chatter on favorite records and songs. We also have a website, TalkingRecordsPodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by purchasing a t-shirt from our website. It's a win-win situation for everyone. You get a fancy new Talking Records t-shirt, and we get a little help updating our gear and maintaining our website. Plus, everyone around you gets to see you in a spiffy new shirt. You can also support us by spreading the word about our podcast. Do you know anyone who'd be interested in album details and stories? What about that person at work you've been meaning to strike up a conversation with? You can also review us where you listen to podcasts. All these things would be a tremendous help to us. All right, let's move on to the next track, Simmer Down. Boston's tackle one of my all-time favorite songs by Bob Marley and the Whalers from their debut album, The Wailing Whalers. And again, they just do a great cover. They just do a great version of this song. I really love it. 
this is probably my favorite song on the album and has yeah. been, you know for since since i first heard it i probably had heard of bob marley but didn't know anything about him before this so you know this is just like you know four songs that like basically introduced me to a whole other world of music yeah. you know? perfect <laughs> i think that was their intent yeah it's awesome, I, and I remember hearing this uh, this song, not knowing it was a Bob Marley song when I first heard it, uh, and then checking out Bob Marley's songs because my father was like, "Hey, that's Bob Marley." He heard me listening to it, so um, in my naivety, I was, uh, well, luckily I got this album because I then went and checked that out, which was awesome, obviously, and the Whalers, um, and and everything having to do with uh, that connection between ska and, and reggae. Um, this was awesome. Uh, I think it was a great cover. And uh, trombone player sings. Yeah. So that, that's always awesome. Dennis, I mean, I yeah. think that, yeah, Dennis, uh, that, that approach with like multiple people singing, I mean, it, it and, and, and doing different stuff and, and those exchanges and the call and responses, it's awesome. You know, it just mm -hmm. looks, like a, just look, looks like a fun party on that stage. And, uh, and it sounds good. Yeah, I mean, Dennis has a great voice, and I love the contrast between his smooth voice and then Dickie's voice. And it doesn't yeah. sound like it should work, you know, this guy singing a reggae song, Dickie singing it. But, like, I don't know, it, it works. I, I love it. I just think it's a great, great cover. One thing I like about this song is that the horn players, who were mostly relegated to the sidelines for most of this EP, kind of get a chance to shine a little bit on this song. You know, sax player Kevin takes a solo, you know, in it. And so that's kind of cool. I like that. Definitely showed their chops on, on that song. Mm -hmm. uh, more so than on, well, I guess someday I suppose, you know, yeah. some, some good, yeah. good horn lines. The band shot a video for this song as well. And if you've ever seen it, it's so 90s. <laughs> I mean, it looks like an episode of The State. <laughs> okay. The State might have been one of the best television shows ever. Well, absolutely. That's why I mentioned it. But the, the band are, you know, once again, crammed into this small space and their, their outfits, you know, and, you know, they're standing in front of all these like beautiful murals and Joe is rocking the upright bass. And I swear, if you pause the video at the 223 mark, I swear that's Fishbone frontman Angelo standing yes. there with his saxophone. I'm fairly certain it is Angelo. Yeah. You, know, you see his mohawk. He's got to be. Yeah. I think it is Angelo, though. I don't think he's on the song at all. But no, I don't think so. He must have just been hanging around. They're like, Angelo, get in here. But he's like, it's very quick. There's like one shot. And then like, again, like a few seconds later, he's kind of dancing in the back. But that's that's it. I saw that, too. Yeah. It was funny because uh, our keyboard player actually uh, knows Angelo. And I remember oh, yeah. seeing in the video and, and thinking to myself, like, he's even on this song. And like, uh, <laughs> I, for a while, I thought he was. But uh, um, that's funny you mentioned it. It was only the glimpse they, of him. They just released like that. Well, the newest album, and Angelo's on it finally after probably like thirty-five years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. that. It's that like they finally got him on the long parade. Song. Yeah, 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 right. All right, so the next track, well, two songs, <laughs> "Drugs and Kittens" and "I'll Drink to That." These were recorded live in Boston on the 2nd of December in 1992. The first, 
uh, titled here Drugs and Kittens, is really Drunks and Children from the band's first album, Devil's Night Out, released on Tang Records in 1989. The song would come back again as Dogs and Chaplains on 1994's Question the Answers, and then again as Doves and Civilians on the band's live album in 98. So, I mean, I said this before when a friend and I did Question the Answers. Why did they stop bringing this song out? You know, every few years they should have just done a new version of this song. I agree. It was That was one of the one things I loved about the Boston's was that, I mean, you know, I think they were very progressive in their, their approach. Obviously, they changed things yeah. about each version. But, mm-hmm. like, you never knew. I mean, yeah, you never knew if you were going to get a new version live. <laughs> and then, like, you know, on the next album, you know, they, they came up with a new name for it and, mm-hmm. you know, put a little different intro or, or, or chorus in there and we had a new version. They were, they were very uh, prog ska band. <laughs> <laughs> I think that some songs, obviously, uh, from being, in a, you know, playing music and songs naturally evolve. If that song is evolving in a good way, like, I would just keep recording it, keep putting yeah, yeah. it out. I mean, it, it, uh, it you know, I mean, our songs have evolved since we recorded that EP, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. uh, not worth mm-hmm. recording anytime soon but uh you know if if, if a song yeah. well was disconnected worth re-recording three times for face to face exactly probably not <laughs> but it's a great song so why not put it on three different albums and and sometimes you want you may want to hear certain songs with new personnel that's another thing like sure. they, you yeah. know you may want to that may be their uh that may be their yardstick in a way like sure. um the first one was probably recorded with i think yeah their first drummer was just dulcimer yeah and i think they had a different saxophonist I believe so that can be your way of like a being the different albums if you are the band yourselves to be like mm-hmm. you know or the different eras of your of your uh, lineup yeah this is just one of my probably one of my favorite boston songs i just i love the song a lot all its forms this one starts off with the crowd chanting mighty mighty boston's mighty mighty boston's and then dickie makes an announcement no brian hurt himself he needs g off to come to the side of the stage brian and I love how he pronounces Jeff uh, with a G as Geoff. No. <laughs> that always cracked me up. And who is that guy? Like, you know, where is he today? Yeah. Who's the stage I, guy? Who's like, listen to that track. It's like, who? Okay, yeah. That guy. <laughs> my moment of fame is when Dickie pronounced my name right. wrong just to be a jerk, you know? <laughs> it's Geoff. My, my Boston's moment of fame, and my friends make fun of me for this. They made fun of me for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to see them. This is probably like 96 at Coney Island High in, in, in New York City. And I finally got up onto the stage. It was my, my chance at glory. And I was going to do a, uh, you know, a stage dive. And for some reason, my pants just fell down. I've never heard oh, this story. And I had to like hike them up and then just like jump out. And I'm a big guy. So that Wait, wasn't like a very good <laughs> stage got, dive. You got on the stage and your pants just fell down. They, they kind of fell down like midway. Uh, but yeah, then, man. like, kind of are they Jankos? No, no, no. I didn't wear Jankos. <laughs> but to you know, kind of. <laughs> but anyway, later on, I ended so up ordering. Digital cameras weren't around. No, well, here's where I'm going with this. I ordered the live version of it. Somebody had had uh, there. I forget what the company was called. Punkrockvideos.com or something like that. And they would have all these you know shows. You could get like three dub three shows dubbed onto a tape for like twenty bucks or something like that. Oh, so wow. I set out. And that show was on it. 
And there nice. I am on, you know, on you video. Really? I don't have it anymore, but but I remember we we watched it, and of course, you know, they couldn't, they would rewind it, and you know, you are again. like you are again. right next to Dickie. And like, yeah. and Let's watch that one more time. Here we right, go. Right, so. And here it is again. <laughs> You're like, this is my favorite EP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they stopped making amazing. EPs after that, right? Because of my my pants. This version also features the Johnny Vegas bridge, the one that would eventually go on Question the Answers. The old Devil's version was just him like yelling, but in this one he actually sings some lines. So I, I yeah. liked, uh, I like this improvement on the bridge. It's Definitely. Good. Definitely. All right, and so the song just kind of goes right into "I'll Drink to That." I'll drink to that comes from 1992's More Noises and Other Disturbances. And, you know, it's just a song about feeling alive and your favorite dive. Uh, great drinking song. One of the many they had or have. I mean, Christian and I were talking about um, how good uh, Gittleman really is, the bass, and uh, how he probably is doing a large portion of the um, writing and arrangements of the music for these songs. You know, when you see Barrett and Gittleman, um, uh, credited, I mean, these songs are awesome. If I sounded that good live, like they did, I'd want to put, I'd want to throw a couple live, sprinkle a couple live tracks in there, everything, you know? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the specials have been doing that forever. So, I mean, I think of, uh, you know, if it's good enough for them, and the boss don't do the same thing. And I remember thinking, I, uh, and, and even now, I, I don't think that kids realize the, um, the uniqueness of listening to songs and that track doesn't end mm. just goes on dead time. Yeah. You have to wait 30 minutes, <laughs> 30 minutes for how I was, how I am. Yeah, I used to use my CD player's skip forward feature. And uh, if you do that, you can find a live version of this song. And this song comes from 1989's Devil's Night Out. And I'm assuming it's from the same show, that 1992 show that the other two live tracks came from. Uh, I don't know if there's no credit for this one on here. So I'm assuming same show. But anyway, great song. I always like the song. Dickie sings, And once upon a time, I never minded very much. I never let it knock me down or grind me out of touch. It's a song about losing that innocence or lightened spirit as you get older and the burdens of life kind of weigh on you. It's easy to let your heart harden a little bit. And I know age provides you with experience, perspective, but you know it's just interesting that they were kind of saying this stuff at in 89, like <laughs> when they were young, yeah. kind of this song about it's, I mean, for me, it, you know, it brings back the memories of seeing the Boston's for the first time, you know, like, yeah. uh, I remember them playing the song. It was at the stone pony. That was like, that was my first, you know, Boston show, my first ska show. Um, and so that was just like a whole kind of, I don't know, blossoming for me. <laughs> if you want to put it in those, floral terms um i still i still have vivid memories of being at that show and just the excitement and if you went to a boston show back in the day 
Um, and I'm sure now, you know, I, I actually saw the most recent I've seen them was a few years ago at Tompkins Square Park, and it's they still retain that that energy. Yeah. But back in the day, like when you when you had the equal energy, and now when you're older, it's it's a little bit tougher to get that <laughs> get that up. But I, I all I can say was like the the vibe when you walked into a, a Boston show, even for you know the 15 minutes leading up to their set, was just electric and just a, a something going through the crowd that just the anticipation and people would start chanting like way too early for the Boston's you know, and <laughs> Boston's, and they wouldn't come out. And so they chant louder. I remember seeing them in the nineties too. And I always remember like uh, whenever someone would come see them for the first time being like, you know, and all that, all that ferocity of like, uh, like devil's night out and, and, and some of the heavier songs on like uh, question the answers. You're like, don't let the suits fool you. These guys are these guys are wild. They probably had had matured, obviously by then. I mean, that's the point. Same point where like bands like like No Effects were learning how to tune their guitars after ten years of playing. You know, a band <laughs> like the Boston playing for almost a decade. You know, either in that band or with other bands uh, in in the same scene. Yeah, a song like that, a song like uh, you know, introspective. You know, these guys aren't just dumb meatheads like um, that, that play heavy and are, and are eventually, you know, we, we never uh, will eventually maybe mature in a different direction musically. But um, that's a good example of it. How I was, how I am is a good example of that. You know, like uh, these guys may wear plaid suits, which had, I don't know if you guys are in the same boat, but I definitely was putting my mom's blazers on. Like I have photos, <laughs> like those plaid blazers, those are women's jackets that most of us were wearing. Yeah. I don't Theirs aren't, the Boston's no, they took, aren't. They took out the shoulder pads. Flip them inside out. You know, they look so sharp. And uh, I have a picture of me real chubby with like an NYC moon scotcher on it. I think I wore at Roseland and uh, neck with Dickie. And, you know, that guy's in a three-piece suit. And that, yeah. that. Looking like a million bucks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see his hairline. I was like, oh my God. All right, let's take a very quick look at the art. The front cover photo was taken by Lowell, Massachusetts photographer Bob Perry, I think is how you pronounce it. It's Pear with a little mark over the E. But anyway, the background is one of his dad's flannel shirts uh, that Bob used to wear to a lot of Boston shows while taking pictures. And it's got the cool Boston Zippo lighter on there <laughs> with the dog logo that the band used to use a lot. Even though I was not a smoker, I think I, probably when I got this album, I was 15 or 16. I was not a smoker. I didn't care about anything like that, but I just wanted that lighter. That was like the coolest thing. I was like, oh my God, this is on the cover and it looks cool. It's got the, the bulldog or whatever it is. The back has a live shot of the band. Dickie most prominent with his high top plaid chucks on. And uh, I just love those shoes, man. <laughs> those are awesome shoes. But you're right. Like the style of this band was so important i mean they just looked amazing up there like if you ever bumped into these guys like in a bar or something like this picture in the inside jacket you'd be like who are these guys but it's like this imposing group of guys i mean it was awesome they looked like they looked like the madness uh in a lot of their photos but just more extreme and the plaid it was just it was everywhere i mean uh, that that was such a cool concept that like you know to take that traditional um you know uh peter tosh look and to kind of make it wild with something else that's also traditional but not the way you're using it you know it's mm-hmm. uh, it's very creative and i know yeah. probably, you know it may not have been them but they obviously you know uh championed it and pioneered it in a lot of ways and to 
me, like I, I'm, I'm probably the worst one with this, but I think that 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 uniform look, or that at least you know something is that similarity look. It looks less like five guys who five hired guns or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It looks more like guys who are together in this message. You know, like together mm. in this that they a unified that, front. Yeah, 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 unified exactly. Or that they're 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 at least about the same thing. You know, they all agreed on something today. <laughs> we did, we did, we did do the suit route for our EP release show oh, nice. about a month ago. And it came out pretty good, I thought. I bet you were sweating. Not as much as I thought I would, but yeah. <laughs> it, but we, we looked pretty pretty slick, I thought. Yeah, we looked awesome. it, It's a polished look. We also looked like we at least know how to plan something. Right. right. We <laughs> look what we did. Yeah. Look my awesome. adults now. The Muddy Muddy Boston's made their major label debut with an announcement of this is who we are and this is where we came from. A collection of solid hardcore punk and reggae covers that follow a strong offering from their upcoming album. The band was ready to take on this new era boldly. I picked this EP up in the early stages of my interest in the Boston's and it led me to older punk bands I might have missed. I want to thank you, Mike and Christian, for hanging out with me today. Where can people check out Scapository? We have an EP out on Bandcamp. It's um, scapository.bandcamp.com. Or you can check out any of the major streaming sites like uh, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, YouTube. Um, you know, and uh, we should have a pretty active, uh, updated uh, set list on our Facebook page or show list on our Facebook page, Instagram page. So we're, we're pretty unique. Scapository, two Ps, a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we take pride in our live shows, um, much like the Boston's, I think. You know, come on out and see us. We're, uh, we're definitely playing a lot of shows. So Yeah, uh, yeah you guys are uh, always blowing up my feed with your, your flyers. We'll have to get you out to Western Mass at some point, somehow. We'll get you out here. Yeah, yeah. Very awesome. Check out Talking Records episode number 45 for a look at Big Wig's Stay Asleep with Christian. That was a lot of fun. I'd like to thank Craig and Scott for the graphics for the show. I'd like to thank Krista Makes from Less Than Jake for the theme music. And thanks everyone out there for giving us a listen on your morning drives, your long jogs, or while you're cooking dinner. We're thrilled that you're listening and hope you continue to do so. Check us out on the socials. Say hello. Suggest albums. Don't forget to check out Scapository. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. I go to the ride looking for some